Find out the means used by great Lutheran music composers to convey meaning in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, Lutheran Music and Meaning. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about Lutheran Music and Meaning at issuesetc.org. Lutheran Music and Meaning by Dr. Daniel Zager. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. There's so much bad preaching of the end times out there. A preacher might be tempted not to preach about it at all. Of course, the lectionaries that used by liturgical churches kind of require you to do that, especially towards the end of the church year and during the time of Advent. So how do you properly preach the end times? Joining us to answer that very question, Dr. John Bombaro, Director of Theological Education for Eurasia, for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of a series of columns titled, Preaching the End Times Better. John, welcome back. Thanks a lot, Todd. Why should pastors be preaching about the end times? It's a very important subject. It holds an important place throughout the entire scriptures. Eschatology begins right in the first verses of Genesis, Divine revelation has been given to us to bring us comfort and security in Christ Jesus. And yes, there are warnings that are bound to end times content within Scripture, but these are not the main focus, and the onus doesn't fall on apocalyptic scenarios, but rather that there is, in fact, salvation in Christ Jesus. And the Scriptures talk about the end time scenarios to heighten our assurance that the things will play out according to the promises of God. Another reason is that there is an, definitely a current of false teaching that should be addressed and corrected with the truth that comes from Holy Scripture. And so preachers are tasked with a twofold responsibility, one by way of negation, the via negativa, to address falsehoods, but also the way of affirmation, the via affirmatus, teaching the positive, the true content of Holy Scripture. And then I would also say that, lastly, because these things will in fact unfold, because the end times are in fact tethered to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to proclaim the whole counsel of God, and that includes what is going to unfold in the end times. So we're moving from the terminus ad quem to the terminus ad quo, from the alpha point to the omega point. And so far from these things giving us existential anxiety, as it does for those who are given to postmodern philosophies or to kind of a frightening post-tribulation, post-millennial look at Christianity, really the end time should be a source of Christian assurance and hope. You say that Christology determines eschatology. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a better way to preach the end times, and it doesn't have anything to do with popular left-behind series scenarios. My wife, Melinda, tells me growing up in the Bible Belt in northern Saskatchewan about watching apocalyptic movies like Left Behind and 
And she tells stories of singing evangelical camp songs about, you know, two working in the field or two sleeping in the bed. One is taken and the other is left. And it's really depicting the horrors of the tribulation, the frightening event of the rapture itself. So eschatology was seen to be a scary event and people were frightened into the kingdom. It it seemed to me like fear was the capital in which evangelism was promoted. And the onus fell on escape from the bad news rather than the reality of the good news in Christ Jesus and the exemplar that he provided for all end time secret. And it turns out that it's really no secret at all because we just follow where Christology leads. We've heard from Professor David Scare, and it's something of a mantra within Lutheranism that all theology is Christology. Well, if that in fact is the case, then eschatology is going to be determined by the person, the word, and the works of Christ Jesus. And I intend that we follow that through. So I wrote this piece to advance Lutheran thinking on the maxim, all theology is Christology. It needs to be more than mere cliché. We actually need to be articulating all the points, all the disciplines of theology in and through Christological considerations. And this is why being Christ-centered isn't good enough. There are all of these dispensationalist churches, all of these sort of pre-trib, post-trib scenarios that we hear within dispensational theology are quite arguably really Christ-centered. They're going to be Christ-centered in the way that they talk about things. What they are not, however, is Christological. They're not allowing the logic of the person and the work of Christ to determine how eschatology is to be understood. What four common errors do preachers need to correct regarding the end times? The first one has to do with the fate of the earth, but also, as St. Peter mentions in Second Peter, the heavens as well. So that what's going to happen to the heavens and the earth? In a lot of contemporary apocalyptic thinking, the physical earth, our spatio-temporal reality, God just kind of scrapes it into the cosmic scrap heap. You know, it's it's irredeemable. It won't be redeemed. So, in short, God is going to wind up annihilating it, destroying it completely, and this gives way to other false teachings. So, the first one is that creation is lost. It's not redeemed. And so, the second error, which is an extension of this one, is we're now dealing with a kind of disembodied soteriology, doctrine of salvation. So salvation really consists of getting to heaven instead of what we confess, which is the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So the everlasting life is the embodied life, but Platonic and Neoplatonic thinking is going to divorce itself from the restoration, the resurrection of physicality itself. The third error pertains to, I think, a widespread failure among Protestants to acknowledge specifically Holy Communion as the ongoing parousia of Jesus until the final day of the Lord, what I would call the final parousia. So the link in that chain between the advent of our Lord, Christmas, and the consummation of the age, the last day, is the parousia of Holy Communion. There is a downplaying, a denial of that, and there's in fact a a vocabulary that goes along with it. For instance, the second coming, along with ideas of the rapture. So the self-donation of Christ in the Eucharist really lends itself to a theology 
of disembodiment rather than embodiment and the salvation of the totality of our person, which includes our physicality. And then the fourth error that I mentioned in the article has to do with the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. There are those who believe that they possess an ability to discern the signs of the times and so that they can rightly predict the final parousia, the day of judgment. And this is an error because it deflects people away from the true content of scriptures when it's talking about the final day of the Lord. And although that error doesn't appear in Second Peter per se, it is definitely a widespread error today that people have the ability to discern when Christ is going to come back, and they wind up gaining a following that way. And this usually has a deleterious effect on people's faith. A couple of things. You're using that term parousia. That simply means appearance, doesn't it? It does, but there's a little bit more packed into it. It means appearance, but it means more properly the appearance of the king, and the king coming in peace, but with power as well. So peace is also something that's established by way of of judgment, the establishment of a rule that isn't questioned or or won't be questioned, because it does bring about a consummate peace. So when we talk about Perusia, we're talking about the presence of the king and the way that he rules and reigns. Go into a little more detail into something that you mentioned there. What is potentially wrong about the term second coming? Yeah, I think that this word portends to erroneous conclusions. There are assumptions and associations that are bound up with a misleading term like second coming. It says in one's mind that there has been a first coming, and then there will be a second coming on the last day. And the errors that we just discussed, the four that we had just mentioned, they also come with a vocabulary that reinforces these errant beliefs. So a referent like second coming, it intends to negate specifically the sacramental presence of Christ, that Eucharistic parousia that you and I were just talking about. And then it it winds up associating the ascension with Jesus's absence or his disappearing act rather than the consistent biblical idea of the abiding presence of Christ, and specifically at the event of the ascension, that the cloud is not the cloud of Jesus's absence, but it's the cloud of divine presence. So I think a better term for Jesus is, instead of saying the second coming, we should be referring to the last coming, or even better still, the final parousia. Is the so-called rapture, in any sense, as it's taught by dispensationalists and others, is it a biblical teaching? It's biblical only insofar as it brings forth a word that approximates an idea which can be found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. There Paul uses the expression caught up to describe the catching up of both the dead and living Christians with Christ in the air. But what doesn't follow is where they actually go. They are with Christ ruling and reigning on the earth in the last day, and this catching up is not in a disembodied state, but this is signaling the resurrection of the body. And so Christ will rule and reign on the earth forever and ever. So the teaching that we go into a sort of Gnostic existence is unbiblical. And so what we find that we have here is a rapturous theology that's unmoored from Christology. 
it goes in quite an unbiblical direction, leaving the next event in redemptive history, what really should be its capstone, a full-fledged espousal of Gnostic Christianity, which of course is heretical, a disembodied existence, while a host of tribulation scenarios unfold. It's as if Jesus pulls a psych move on the saints in heaven who have been crying out in the book of Revelation, how long until you redeem the blood of the martyrs, etc. And then Jesus snatches up this rapture crowd to heaven and then says, psych, that's not really it. There's a whole lot more hell on earth to come. So no, it's not biblical because it is unmoored from Christology. Dr. John Bambaro is our guest. We're talking about preaching the end times. On the other side, how have these unbiblical teachings shipwrecked the faith of many? When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest issues, etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Augustano Lutheran Church in Moscow, Idaho, invites you to receive the gifts of Christ with us. We preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins, risen from the dead for your justification and life. Confessional, sacramental, liturgical. We're a new Missouri Synod congregation on the Palouse. We meet Sundays near the University of Idaho, 1015 West C Street. Bible study, 9 a.m., divine service at 10. Find us on Facebook or visit MoscowLutheran.org. The Faith, Once for All, Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethany Lutheran, Fairview Heights, Illinois. Divine Savior Lutheran, Divine Texas. Grace Lutheran, McPherson, Kansas. Hope Lutheran, Sunbury, Ohio. Mount Calvary Lutheran, San Antonio, Texas. Our Savior Lutheran, Winchester, Virginia. Redemption Lutheran, Battle Creek, Michigan, St. John Lutheran, Schaumburg, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, Unionville, Michigan, Trinity Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas, and Redeemer Lutheran, Huntington Beach, California. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org 
click support donate and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Preaching the End Times. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. He's author of a series of columns titled Preaching the End Times Better. John, how have these unbiblical teachings you were talking about before the break, how have they shipwrecked the faith of many? Because it's not tied to a faithful biblical interpretation of what really happens when the day of grace comes to fruition. And it is, again, a consequence of non-Christological interpretations of what happens on the last day, rather than looking to Christ Jesus and specifically the embodied Lord himself, though one person with two natures, they wind up looking to other things, and that results in a kind of Protestant Gnosticism, which depreciates the value of the body and even physicality and our responsibilities with the earth for the idea of getting to heaven and departing, rather than understanding that death, even physical death, as the last enemy to be overcome by Christ, and that he does not leave us in a disembodied state. But as both St. John and St. Paul write, as Christ is, so we shall be. He is the resurrected one, and so we shall be the resurrected one. So the whole teaching of eschatology and looking to Christ as the paragon for what happens should bring us great hope with respect to the resurrection of our bodies. And how has this shipwrecked the faith of many? Because it puts their trust in end-time scenarios, and particularly ones that predict the coming of Christ, which do not come to fruition as a biblical teaching that was untrue. Well, it turns out that what they were actually teaching was unbiblical, and so it had an unbiblical conclusion. As for the day and hour, no man knoweth. In the meantime, we abide patiently and faithfully. How is Jesus himself the paradigm for understanding the events of the day of the Lord? This is what's so beautiful about the contents of Holy Scripture, is that they set forth Christ as determinative for us understanding all of Scripture, and indeed all of human history. He's determined because he teaches us in Scripture how to interpret all of Scripture, and then therefore all the events that Scripture reference or are pertaining to in the light of himself. You know, Jesus teaches us that beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, he interprets it in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And he also, in John chapter 6, says, you search the scriptures diligently, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are that which testify of me. So when it comes to the end times, there's again a major theme throughout scripture. Eschatology is going to be understood in light of the logic of the person, work, and sayings of Christ himself. Not one of those things, but all of those things together. So he sets the paradigm for understanding the future of the world. The transformation of the physical body of Jesus through a process called resurrection gives us the paradigm for understanding the coming transformation of spatiotemporality, as well as all those who have died in Christ and have not died in Christ. We see that there is coming the resurrection of the body 
and that Christ himself, having been having ascended on high, is the one with power and authority to judge. And that's how we understand that all things are going to come to fruition in and through Christ. So Christ reorients our thinking away from disembodied notions of the eschaton through an embodied existence, one that's renewed upon the earth, and that even the earth itself is renewed. You know, there's a fantastic consideration for us that just as we are washed in the waters of holy baptism, which have the blood of Christ in them, and when Christ is present, he's present in the totality of his person. We are washed with the blood of Christ. We actually consume the blood of Christ, which not only cleanses our soul, but it is the medicine of immortality. The blood of Christ also leached into the earth upon his crucifixion, but also during his scourging. We have to consider that what God intends is the rescue and redemption of all things that he claims for himself, and that includes his earthly kingdom. So the transformation of physicality exemplified by the resurrection of Jesus portends for us not only what is going to sit in the future for us, the resurrection of our body, but also the renewal of the earth itself. Where do we then find the abiding presence of Jesus in Scripture? Where are those assurances? We find them in both the Old and New Testaments. We find them in the Old Testaments because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament Scriptures. So when we come across the promise, like in Genesis 28, verse 15, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, we have to look to Jesus Christ and say, okay, he's going to be abidingly present in some way, until the resurrection of our bodies. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have fantastic and rich promises. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And even says this, uh, that last one in John chapter 14, and when he promises to send another comforter, but he doesn't say, I'm going to send you another comforter, and that's good enough. I'll be gone, and I'll catch up with you on the last day. He says immediately thereafter, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So these promises are pure gospel assurances for the Christian to hold on to. Jesus' abiding presence is even further given to us with respect to the Eucharist and in accords with his Bread of Life discourse. So Jesus, abidingly present in the heralding of the gospel, abidingly present in unition with his holy church, Christ abidingly present in holy communion, gives us great comfort that Jesus hasn't stepped away like a divine watchmaker, leaving the earth to run under its own power and own devices, but rather he, the all-authoritative one, is guiding all things to the omega point, to his final parousia. You had mentioned earlier 2 Peter 3. What's the message of that chapter? 2 Peter 3 is really important because in two chapters in that epistle from St. Peter, chapters 2 and 3, he's addressing those who are saying that Christ is not coming back. And because he's not coming back, because all things continue on as they are, well, we're at liberty to live how we want. And so what has resulted was an ungodly living predicated upon 
a presumption that Christ was not only not coming back, but that Christ wasn't continually present for them in and through Holy Communion, but also His Holy Word. So Peter's message is this. One, there's false teaching out there, and it needs to be disabused because there has been unbroken continuity in the promises of God. Two, that no things have not continued on as they always have, but rather a great advent has happened. God has entered human history, and he is taking charge in and through Jesus of Nazareth. That a great cosmic altering event has happened the crucifixion and blood atonement from the Son of God, and that he's been raised from the dead for our justification. So that's where everything pivots on that reality. And then from there, he addresses the false teachers and says, you'll be judged for this because it's a denial of the facts that you already know that are stated in the Holy Scriptures, in the prophetic Scriptures, in the Gospel, and the Gospel that's been committed to the apostles, which we ourselves have taught you, And then beyond that, we ought to have confidence that God's forbearance, because his keeping time is not the same as our keeping time, is giving us space for repentance and enjoyment of his holy presence here as he preserves us and sanctifies us in and through the Holy Church. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. He's Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and author of a series of columns titled preaching the end times better. On the other side, why should the preacher of the end times, why should his first point be to refute false teaching? Find out the means used by great Lutheran music composers to convey meaning in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, Lutheran Music and Meaning. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about Lutheran Music and Meaning at issuesetc.org. Lutheran Music and Meaning by Dr. Daniel Zager. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org.
Welcome back. We're talking about preaching the end times. Dr. John Bombaro is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues, etc. John, why should the preacher of the end times, why should his first point be to refute false teaching on that subject? First of all, because there is an abundance of false teaching out there, such that detracts greatly from the believer's Christological focus and orients them on distracting frequently fear-mongering preoccupations that diminish the value of the present, but also the future of Christian living. Second, these false teachings are, again, they're all the rage. They're in the movies, magazines, conspiracies are constantly being unearthed with respect to end-time scenarios. Websites abound. It seems as if the false teaching really has a great propaganda machine, whereas truth has to slug it out and labor through hard work. Meanwhile, the humble life of the mundane Christian, the the life of suffering is diminished by the overwhelming sensationalism of dispensational eschatology. So the preacher needs to point out and refute these false things. It's also an act of love to protect parishioners from harm and to teach people the truth. It's the work of a shepherd. A shepherd will alert persons to falsehoods that may endanger their heart, mind, or soul, or even their body. To identify and disabuse falsehood also relates to the law. It exposes falsehood as erroneous and false allegiances and allows space and opportunity for repentance and reorientation. St. Peter brings this up in Second Peter chapter 3. He's addressing his auditors specifically in saying that you have opportunity to repent. And then the Lutheran confessions in the Book of Concord, I think they do this really well. Whereas the apostles and the Nicene Constantinopolitan creeds proceed by the way of affirmation only, what we get in the Book of Concord, I think, really approximates more the Athanasian Creed, where we have affirmations of true doctrine and the negations of false doctrine, and they're stated together to provide clarity and protection for the faithful. How does the Apostle Peter then frame the time between Jesus' ascension and the final resurrection as a sign of God's patience? Well, he quotes the psalm, and he talks about how a thousand years is but a day with the Lord. He explains that God's time and our time are different, and that God is engaged in the world, not in the same sort of chronos with us, but he's constantly engaged in chirotic moments. These are moments that are pregnant with meaning and significance that infuse our chronos, our chronological time, that's just sequential time, T1 followed by T2, it supplies that with meaning and significance that gives us not only hope, but assurance and that sort of thing. So the way that that Peter frames the time between Jesus's ascension and resurrection as a sign of God's patience is to say that God is allowing us space for repentance and to experience his divine forbearance, the divine patience for us, because God desires to see all repent and come to faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's an expression of the divine will, of the divine love, to see the gospel extend out to as many people and as far and as widely as possible. And what that includes in God's mind, in God's way of doing things, is time generations on end. And even we have these wonderful promises that God's love is for a thousand generations of those that love him, which is why 
we're eager to bring our children to the waters of holy baptism and our grandchildren to the waters of holy baptism as many generations as off, because the heart and desire of God is to bring his love and his salvation to bear on such. Why is Peter's use of the second person pronouns in Second Peter 3 important? He's not engaged in sort of abstractions. He's dealing with real-world issues in a real-world parish. He's talking to people in the Church who are being challenged by those who are deceiving them, could lead them astray. To bring the, the force of what he's communicating in terms of both the Gospel but also the law to bear on this congregation, he employs the word you and your several times over. In other words, he's engaged in primary speech. He's not just merely speaking about something descriptively, the end times and they're coming and it will look like this, but he says this bears on you specifically. And he uses a kind of in a, an emphatic way. They know the truth of these things. And so he's going to pepper them with a direct appeals to the you. In fact, the passage reads like this. This is the second time that I'm writing you first time he's making reference to the first epistle from Peter. This is the second time that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So what he's getting is that you means you, that, that you need to own these facts And because you are bound up with them, and they are bound up with you, it should result in a change in the way that you believe, repentance, metanoia, and consequently, the way that you behave, especially since they were deceivers, leading them down a licentious path. Peter is concerned as a good shepherd to bring them back onto the way of life and the way of light, a way of sanctification and salvation. How does Peter portray the end times as the consequence of Jesus' incarnation, death, and resurrection? I think this is the most important point, Todd. He's setting forth Jesus again as the paragon. You're not going to be able to understand the end times. You're not going to understand how it relates to you. You're not going to understand what happens at the end of the world. And therefore, God's value of his creation, and specifically God's value of humanity, without looking to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must look to his incarnation, death, and resurrection. Jesus underwent death and burial in order to yield resurrection. Peter is going to say the same thing applies not only to you, but to the physical earth itself. It will undergo a death and a burial, this time not by water, as it did in the Noetic flood, but by fire, in order to yield resurrection life. And we may ask ourselves, why fire? Why is fire necessary to burn up all the elements? Well, even as I sit here and look out the window, I can see concrete. I know that there's things that are driven into the ground, pollution, tanks, wires. When I say tanks, I mean storage tanks, fuel tanks, all of these things. And then ships and pollution and everything. How are these things going to be purged for heaven to be present on earth? Well, the answer to that is fire. And fire will destroy all of those things, not for the purpose of 
total annihilation for the obliteration of physicality, but rather just as a fire sweeps through a forest and it allows the acorns and the other seeds from trees to break, to crack, and to germinate so that life can spring forth, so too with respect to the earth. Peter is looking to Jesus as that paradigm. So what will happen to the heavens and earth on the last day, on the day of that final parousia? Well, the answer is transformation, resurrection, with the old and the corruptible being purged thoroughly by fire. Christ himself is the terminable point, it turns out, for both the law and the gospel, for both history and creation. And so my capstone for these articles is basically this, that authentic biblical eschatology is determined by Christology, which means that cosmology, what happens to the earth, is going to be determined by Christology as well. How do today's end times preachers often violate Peter's way of preaching it? They'll violate Peter's way of preaching by departing from the Christology that I'm talking about. They're not using a Christological hermeneutic for both Scripture and history itself. When you depart from a Christological hermeneutic, then you can have any kind of interpretive spectrum pop up, and that's what happens everywhere. I used to think that it was kind of platitudinous that Luther had said that it's enough, and we find this in our confessions, for the unity of the Church, for there to be the pure preaching of the Gospel and the sacraments administered according to the Gospel. But it isn't platitudinous. Luther and the confessions are absolutely correct. If all Christians, that's to say all denominations of Christians, if we were engaged in true biblical Christological interpretation of the Scriptures, it would yield a unifying understanding of the law and the gospel in Christ Jesus. But when we do not interpret the scriptures in the way that Jesus has taught us, beginning with Moses and prophets and the Psalms, interpreting all the scriptures in the light of himself, and he even goes further, that the Christ must be betrayed, right? You know, first he's going to be born, then he's going to live a perfect life, he's going to be betrayed, crucified, resurrected, ascended. When we're not interpreting the scriptures that way, Almost anything can come in and hijack the interpretation of the scriptures. Things like geopolitical happenings, things like economic woes and hardships, things like wars and rumors of wars. And these things will crowd out Jesus as the interpretive determiner for all of scripture. Dr. John Bambaro is Director of Theological Education for Eurasia for the Office of International Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We'll conclude our interview Monday with Dr. Bambaro, Preaching the End Times. Also Monday, we'll continue our Nicene Creed series, talking with Pastor Will Whedon about the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran School is accepting student applications for the 2023-24 school year, Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for preschool through 12th grade. They also offer live online classes for high school students worldwide. Find out more at flsplano.org. Truth, goodness, beauty, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to Church Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. 
our mailing address, issues, etc. P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org.